There are some differences, though, because the previous weeks, I think two weeks ago and then last week, Jesus had these one-on-one conversations. First, it was with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Last week, we had the story of the woman in the well. Today, it's the ninth chapter of John, the whole chapter, and we're going to find a whole cast of characters that happen in this story about Jesus that's given to us in the, the ninth chapter of John. So I just ask now that you hear this story, the words of our Lord, beginning at the first verse of the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked him. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. 
who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, That is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him, heard him say this, and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you, were, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God still speaking today. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. What a story. <laughs> a simple story it starts out with Jesus and disciples going by a a man who's been blind since birth, and the disciples simply ask Jesus, hey, how come this man is blind? Who sinned? Whose fault is it? Basically, they're asking, is it his parents or is it his? And Jesus said, no, it's, it's no one's fault that this man has this disability. It has nothing to do with anyone doing anything wrong. This happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus, we hear he makes mud with his own saliva. That's kind of ucky. Here's the Messiah reaching down into dirt, spitting with his own spit and saliva, making this pasty mud and putting it on the man's eyes. Go and wash. He washed and he was healed. He came home seeing, we're told. And if that seems simple. The story should end there. We shouldn't have all that other... I said earlier as I was thinking about this, I could probably get four to five sermons out of that chapter. There's so much good things. There's so much going on. Praise God. Jesus healed the one lost sheep. The man can see. Everyone should celebrate. <laughs> That's not what happens. This story has doubt. 
and fear and even anger from people who can't wrap their head around how this blind man can now see. They just don't get it. What should be this joyous occasion? I was thinking, maybe because sometimes Daphne and I watch Court TV, that if this story happened today, it would probably end up on something like Court TV. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some people say, yes, it's him. Others would say, no, it's just someone who looks like him. Even the man says, I am the man. How then are your eyes open? There's all this doubt, confusion. So what do they do with this doubt and confusion? They take them. Let's take them to someone who has some authority. Someone who, the rulers, someone who might be able to solve this problem for us. Someone we can trust. Let's take them to the Pharisees. Those people wanted someone powerful and important to figure this out for them. Today, how often do we still look for security in powerful figures? Trusting that they're the only ones who can fix things for us. It's no different for the people who lived in Bible times in the New and Old Testament. They were looking for kings, for saviors, for liberators. They they had the promise of the Messiah coming. But they, unfortunately, looked in all the wrong places often. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't believe that this troublemaker, this rule-breaker named Jesus, could even possibly be the Messiah, the Son of God. But they asked themselves, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they push Jesus out. They disapprove of Jesus and they disapprove of the blind man. This man is not from God, for how he does not even absorb the Sabbath. Then they tell the blind man, you were born entirely in sin, and you're trying to teach us. How dare you? I think the problem is that people have this very powerful, it's internal and culturally kind of engraved in us. As human beings, we can't help but to categorize people. We place people into categories so that then it's easier for us to separate who can be trusted over here against, oh, we can't trust those people over there. We create these long-conditioned and unconscious images even of what trustworthy people look like. I can trust him. I can trust her because they're like this despite the fact that reality is often much more complicated and nuanced. We learn from this story, hopefully, that it wasn't the priest, the religious authority, who healed the blind person, but this vagabond rabbi. How many people did they still look for authority and spiritual authority in all the wrong places? and kind of commit the same mistake those Pharisees did. They were discounting that proven miracle. It happened right in front of them. They had witnesses. But they couldn't believe that certain people were capable of doing good. Looking back on today's Old Testament reading, the the 23rd Psalm, we have this image of God 
that maybe it's hard for us to wrap our hands around because we don't really know about shepherds in our culture much. But for people living in the times of Jesus and before in the Old Testament, shepherds were very important people. They weren't considered respectable. They weren't even considered uh, trustworthy. But they, they had to take care of the herds. It's a job basically that no one else wanted to wander around with these herds of these livestock. And yet, in Psalm 23, who is our shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean to us today? Can we trust in the one who leads us to the green, sweet grasses and whose rod actually comforts us? The Lord is a shepherd who dares to anoint us with oil. And in Old Testament times, that was only reserved for royalty or kings. You anointed the new king, yet the Lord is going to anoint us with oil. Jesus uses the metaphor of a shepherd often in the Gospels. He wants to teach us how we ought to love and care for people. How we love and care for one another. Even in the next chapter, in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus calls himself, says, I am the good shepherd. A shepherd does whatever is needed, whenever it is needed, no matter what the rules say you're supposed to do. He's so ingrained on taking care of the flock. The homeless wandering rabbi, Jesus, this lowly wandering shepherd, whose life is lived so that the sheep are safe, they're fed, and they're loved. Later at the end of the Gospel of John, I think it's the 21st chapter, Jesus asked Simon Peter the question, Do you love me? Of course, Simon Peter, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus' command to Peter is simply to feed his lambs, shepherd his sheep. Then he tells us, go and do likewise. Feed the lambs. Care for the flock of Jesus. Go as a good shepherd who looks out for the one lost, no matter the day or the hour. Our good shepherd is Jesus. We're part of his flock. That should give us peace. The reason the Jewish leaders, those Pharisees, They didn't see it because they didn't belong to the flock of Jesus. They didn't recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. They didn't recognize his manner. They didn't recognize his care or his leadership. They weren't part of the flock. Instead, those sheep, those religious leaders, those teachers, what did they see? They just saw a troublemaker, a malcontent, a radical A fraud. They saw someone who was condescending and speaking out against them. They were taking people's loyalty away from them. They began following the shepherd. In that sense, the sheep, those Pharisees, what they saw was accurate. Yet Jesus, when he interpreted what those Pharisees saw, those sheep, Jesus reveals them not to be sheep at all but wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. 
I think it's a very good analogy for some of the leaders in our United Methodist Church. They take vows at their ordination ceremonies, yet they set aside those vows because of personal reasons and personal agendas. Why is our United Methodist Church splintering into hundreds, if not thousands, of different little churches? Because the episcopacy, the leaders of the domination, have failed our United Methodist Church. Much like the religious leaders in the time of Jesus failed their flock. The Pharisees should have been the ones to lead them into the Good Shepherd, to lead them into the Messiah that has been prophesied in God's Word. The Pharisees in the time of Jesus failed just like the religious leaders before them failed. Yet Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We follow Jesus because we believe, we know we're going to receive important things that we need, that we need to thrive. We're going to be fed. We know Jesus and God is going to feed us well with his word. We can be safe and not stressed about what's going to happen tomorrow. We know we have someone above us looking out for us. There's an English shepherd, his name is James Rebanks, and he wrote a book about shepherding, and he said, the first rule of shepherding, it's not about you, it's about the sheep and the lamb. And Jesus, with his life and ministry, demonstrates that like no one else. When the sheep see Jesus, they see a shepherd who has their best interests at heart. And they know it's because Jesus is willing to die for them. We who are part of the flock of Jesus, we have heard the voice of Jesus leading us as that closing hymn will tell us, He leadeth me. But just like Jesus is the good shepherd, we in the flock of Jesus have shepherding to do of our own. We're under shepherds, you could say who are supposed to care for others and want to bring them into the fold of Jesus, into the flock of Jesus, so they can experience the abundant eternal life that we can embrace. To do that, we have to be willing to care for the sheep like Jesus does, to know what they need and to lead them well. Every one of us has a small flock We've been given by the Lord to tend. It might just be a family. It might just be a few friends. It might be our neighbors, our co-workers, even a small group at church. We have to ask ourselves, what do our sheep see when they look at us? We're called to hear the shepherd's voice. And then as leaders of the flock, to lead them in following Christ. And we do that simply by reflecting his care, ensuring that people are being well-fed spiritually, their needs physically are taken care of, that we can create an environment of peace where people feel valued, people feel loved, people feel cared for. We demonstrate that we care more about the flock than we do about ourselves as individuals. When we do that, Others will want to follow 
where we're leading into the flock of Jesus Christ. Maybe a good prayer for us is simply, Lord, help me to be the kind of sheep that leads others to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We can do that when we look to the good shepherd and follow the good shepherd with our lives. Amen.